Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. When the COP26 climate talks begin in Scotland in a couple days, it'll be a test of how much the U.S. and China can work together on environmental issues despite diplomatic tensions. President Biden will be there. Notably absent, China's president, Xi Jinping. Well, Xi Jinping hasn't left China since January of 2020. So we're it's like 638 days. And the fact that Xi Jinping isn't there, um, the messaging, the optics are, are problematic. That's Philem Kine, Politico's China correspondent. I think that Xi's absence, number one, obviously it, it emphasizes that the Chinese government is, is very serious about its so-called zero COVID strategy. Their calculus or their ratio of cost-benefit is it's better to stay home, stay safe, consolidate and maintain power than risk losing that in exchange for the soft power advantages of being face-to-face, hand-to-hand at COP26 and other international events. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, Philem Kine on whether the U.S. and China are going to be able to move past their differences and, to put it bluntly, work together on trying to save the world. So COP26 is the follow-up to the landmark Paris climate talks five years ago, in which countries made specific commitments to lower their national carbon emissions necessary to maintain uh, global warming to a 1.5 degree Celsius mark. And this is seen as essential in order to mitigate or avoid the worst possible outcomes from what is really irreversible climate change. So it's seen as a way to mitigate the worst. And this COP is where countries are coming, including the US, including the China, 190 countries, to outline what they have done to meet that goal and what their next plans are in order to meet that 1.5 degree Celsius warming ceiling. You wrote that this summit is a kind of test of whether the U.S. and China are able to work past some of their tensions to deliver progress on climate negotiations. Can you tell me a bit about sort of what's behind that? And I think it's important to start with the fact that President Biden's special presidential envoy on climate, John Kerry, has really uh, explicitly set what the stakes are for this COP26, which starts on Sunday. The climate crisis, my friends, is the test of our times. And while some may still believe it is unfolding in slow motion, no, this test is now as acute and as existential as any previous one. He's called it the last best chance for humanity to really make important initiatives to mitigate the climate crisis. And so the U.S.-China angle is that, of course, we have had over the last five years, the China-U.S. relationship has been extremely problematic and troubled in terms of issues regarding trade, in terms of issues regarding uh, security and threats to Taiwan. You know, you hear people saying, Biden wants to start a new Cold War with China. 
I don't want a Cold War with China. I just want to make China understand that we are not going to step back. We are not going to change any of our views. So are you saying that, that the United States would come to Taiwan's defense if yes, China we, attacked? Yes, we have a commitment. And also on issues of human rights and democracy, specifically the abuses of uh, Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang, the crackdown and rollback of human rights and rule of law in Hong Kong. So it's, a, it's been a very troubled relationship and it's become very bitter and there has been speculation that, to a certain extent, climate negotiations between the two sides have been relatively insulated from that. But this is the test to see whether they actually can go into Glasgow with a joint sort of aligned position on what they are going to do, the U.S. and China, and what they expect the other countries, the rest of the world, to do as well. So they are both leading in terms of the, the top two carbon emitters on the planet, but also demonstrating what they want others to do as well. China's president, Xi Jinping, will not be in attendance at this summit. Joe Biden will. And I want to get into the why of that. But first, what do you make of the optics of that, of President Biden being there and President Xi staying home? Well, I mean, the fact is, is that President Biden being there in person is a real bonus for him. You know, he gets to, you know, literally press the flesh and be there and make an impression face to face, hand to hand with the heads of state of 190 countries. Mm -hmm. And so that's to his advantage. And that's like a U.S. soft power win. It demonstrates and articulates, look, the U.S., believes and recognizes that the climate crisis is so important that even in the midst of a ongoing pandemic, it's sending its head of state to ensure that there is indeed head of state, top level negotiations on the climate crisis. And the fact that Xi Jinping isn't there, um, the messaging, the optics are, are problematic. And even if he does beam in via like a virtual Zoom call, you know, the dynamics are different. It will probably be a pre-recorded announcement. And he, he misses, most importantly, you know, Xi Jinping misses those side meetings and those side negotiations that are really the most important part of these high-profile multilateral uh, meetings like COP26. Hmm. Why isn't she attending? The consensus seems to be that he simply is not willing to risk leaving the country and being exposed to COVID-19 uh, in a year over the next 12 months in which he has a series of extremely important high-profile events that are necessary to sort of solidify his hold on power. And so for uh, Xi Jinping to contract COVID-19 and be seen as weak and vulnerable ahead of this very important year uh, is, uh, is something that he's simply unwilling to risk. Hmm. And so it's likely that we won't see Xi Jinping outside of China until earliest uh, the end of 2022. Um, so this is a test of how much the U.S. and China can put some tensions behind them and, and make movement on climate. Is there anywhere where you think we could see like tangible progress or agreement this weekend? between the two countries or vice versa? Is there somewhere where like we could see disagreement? Well, first, I think it's really important that we recognize that there have, in spite of everything, in spite of the fact that the bilateral U.S.-China relationship has is really been 
uh, has reached, reached its depth, you know, sort of historical depth in terms of tensions, that there has been progress uh, on the climate issue. And that, you know, what I think we can see that when in September, Xi Jinping announced at the United Nations General Assembly via video that uh, China would stop building overseas coal-powered electrical plants. China will step up support for other developing countries in developing green and low-carbon energy and will not build new coal-fired power projects abroad. And this is huge. And it, it didn't come out of thin air. Um, this is something that was the result of long-time international engagement, including that of John Kerry and the leaders of other nations. And, and that really recognizes and, and symbolizes important progress. This is, that is a $50 billion industry that the Chinese government says, we're not going to do it anymore because we recognize that it's important for us to stop using coal, at least overseas. So it hasn't been frozen. And going into it, you know, the trouble is, is that both the U.S. and China are sort of restricted by domestic political and economic restraints. And China has already tapped the lower hanging fruit in terms of what are the easiest and most accessible and most politically possible concessions towards reducing its carbon emissions. And so that, you know, doing more means they're cutting closer to the bone in terms of potential economic or political blowback by, for example, reducing coal production and use that might result in the continuation of recent uh, power supply problems, which in turn cuts economic growth. So there's a knock-on effect. And at the same time, you know, the Chinese are looking at the U.S. and looking at the Biden administration and saying, look, you guys can't even get your uh, climate initiatives included in this infrastructure package, that you guys are a lot of rhetoric, but you can't deliver. And so there really is a bit of skepticism on the Chinese side that whatever they do is going to be much greater and more important and more actionable than what the U.S. currently can do, given the lack of bipartisan consensus on meaningful action on climate. Before COP26, there is the G20 meeting over the weekend in Rome. President Biden is going to be at that. Is there anything you're watching for that could give insight to the relationship and what could happen next at COP26? Well, I think that the most notable thing about the G20 is that who's not going. So Xi Jinping isn't there. Uh, neither is Russia's President Vladimir Putin. So I think that the the problem that we see is that G20's timing, which is uh, Saturday and Sunday, which bridges over to COP26, was designed specifically to allow sort of pre-talks ahead of the environmental talk to prime the pump amongst the top 20 economies and the top 20 carbon emitters in order to smooth the way to substantive agreement at COP26. It remains to be seen how much of that necessary preparatory work will be able to get get finished. Um, If it isn't, and if the U.S. and China are unable to go into COP26 in Glasgow with some kind of alignment, and I think it's important to note that John Kerry and his Chinese uh, counterpart, Xie Jianhua, 
are meeting this week to try to hammer out that kind of alignment. If, if that doesn't happen, this is going to be a very, very contentious meeting at COP26 in Glasgow. So there's a lot at stake. And, you know, these plates might fall unless people really come together in the next few days. Philem Kain, thanks so much for talking with me. My pleasure. Anytime. Thank you. Also today, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is escalating his fight with the White House over vaccine requirements. On Thursday, he followed through with his threat to sue the Biden administration over vaccine mandates, setting up yet another clash between the Democratic president and the potential 2024 Republican challenger. Florida's lawsuit, which was filed in federal court against Biden and a handful of federal agencies, seeks to block a vaccine mandate that federal contractors must comply with by December 8th. The legal challenge does not address the Biden administration's plan for businesses with 100 or more employees to require vaccines for their staffers or weekly testing. And the Justice Department is announcing a series of changes aimed at toughening the federal response to white-collar crime, particularly offenses involving corporate misconduct. Speaking to lawyers who often defend people and companies against those kinds of charges on Thursday, Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco said the new approach would do more to deter crime in the nation's boardrooms and executive suites and includes changing rules giving companies credit for cooperation when they identify employees substantially involved in misconduct. Monaco also said the Justice Department won't hesitate to bring cases against company executives, even though those are typically vigorously contested by well-funded defense counsel and sometimes result in acquittals or dismissal. Today's episode included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. The Politico Dispatch production team includes senior editor Raghu Manavalan, senior producer Jenny Ament, and executive producer Irene Noguchi. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening. <laughs>